0: Welcome to Series 5 of the Bible and Me podcast from Precept Ministries UK, the series that uses incredible life stories to give God the glory. Before we dive
1: into this week's episode, if you haven't done so already, be sure to click that subscribe button so that you don't miss out on any of the amazing testimonies in the future. And now, without further
0: ado, here's the podcast. Well, I am delighted to welcome an all-American couple to the program today, Uh, Brad and Robin Ringer, have an incredible wealth of experience uh, across a number of ministries, but primarily in youth work, uh, both in cities and in rural communities uh, in America, and also here in the UK. Uh, They have a real heart to see the youth of today uh, who live in a world of temptation, often confusion, broken relationships, pain and hurt, to be passionate followers of christ and they also work with youth leaders to achieve that too um, brad is a preacher a teacher who was born and raised in buffalo new york uh, has been in full-time ministry since 1980 uh, he's also been a, an nfl chaplain i think that's national football league chaplain uh he's been a pastor of a church uh, a founder of two ministries and is currently a faculty member of southwest youth ministries here in the uk um, he and Robin have been, are in ministry together. They have two daughters, Bonnie and Laura. Uh, Brad and Robin, welcome to the Bible and Me podcast. Great to be with you. Thank you. Um, now, I ask this to all my guests on the program. How did you become followers of Jesus Christ?
2: Well, uh, I grew up in the church, and I was the uh, church kid. Really popular, very nice, very easygoing, very, very quiet. And one day I was sitting in church, I was 16, and all of a sudden the pastor gave an invitation, and I found myself up at the front of the church. And it was kind of surprising because I thought I was a Christian. The (laughs) pastor looked at me and said, Brad, uh, would you like to pray to receive Christ? And I said, I can't. And he goes, Well, why not? And I said, Because God told me that before I gave my life to Him, I had to go and apologize to everybody in my youth group. And uh, they were all up on the stage because they were part of a choir and uh, i used to use my mouth in a sarcastic humorous type of way and hurt people and so i went up person by person and asked for their forgiveness and when i finished going around the rounds then i came back down and gave my life to christ and i honestly believe what god was saying is if i'm going to use your mouth in the future for my service then we need to get this issue settled now
0: (laughs) experience oh and how about you robin
1: I was 12 years old sitting in church and uh, my friend sends me a note. She goes, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah, I think so. Um, and um, she says, do you know what it means to be a Christian? And I says, well, I'm, I'm good. So she goes, I'll tell you more after church. So after church, we go back in one of the Sunday school rooms. She gets out a blackboard and she sta- starts writing the scripture for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And she's drawing artwork, and she's explaining to me. And I was cut to the quick just from that. And she said, Do you want to ask Jesus in your heart? Well, I got shy, and I said, I'll do it at home. (laughs) I got in the car, drove home, went in my bedroom, got down on my knees, and I said, Lord I think I said, God, I don't understand you, Mm. but something inside of me says, I need you. Please come into my heart. Mm. I stood up, got off my knees, and something was different within me. Mm. It was that dramatic.
0: Mm. And how old were you? I was 12. 12 years old. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Now, um, after going through uh, Bible school, Bible college, um, you uh, became a youth pastor didn't you Brad that is correct Um, now um, tell us a little bit about that why why did you go into why did you become a youth pastor and then I've got another question I want to ask you related to that
2: well uh, I went away to a college and I was going to be a history major long story short God totally rocked my world Uh, ripped away a girl that I'd been dating ripped away my plans (laughs) and said um, I want you to serve me full-time in in youth ministry and uh, so I changed colleges and uh, was there for three years. And when I graduated, the church that I had grown up in hired me back as their youth pastor. Okay. And this was a church of about 1,500, 1,800 people in Buffalo, New York. And uh, so now all of a sudden, here I am at twenty-one, a youth pastor in one of the largest churches in, in our area.
0: Really, lots of kids, oh, yeah, lots I of a youth group
2: of about four hundred.
0: <laughs> 400 youth group <laughs> yeah. oh my goodness me and you, you're you only probably what 4 or 5 years older than them
2: yes yeah. 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 in fact I was in charge of the college age group and they were older than me <laughs> so it was kind of, kind of ironic
0: <laughs> goodness me so you must have had a few programs and a few um, a lot of life lessons I guess in those early days oh, absolutely. as a young 20 year old now um, before we went before we started talking um, you mentioned um, a situation to me um, which struck me really. Um, you were so you were uh, in this church, um, and you came to be aware that the associate pastor of the church um, was sexually abusing young kids, essentially in your care or in the church's right. care. Now, I mean, that is horrific at all times. Uh, but you're a young guy. Um, how did you cope with that? Because clearly, I guess he was more senior to you. And you're finding out something that's pretty horrific. Um, How did you deal with that?
2: Well, it was by the grace of God, because, again, I was in my early 20s, and this was a man who was very much a type A, uh, magna cum laude graduate of Wheaton College, very intimidating. And um, so I was just a very easygoing youth pastor. And what God did is uh, had me be the one that uncovered the whole thing. And after I uncovered the whole thing, I had to go and confront him. And I was terrified, but God gave me the strength to do it. And so when I went um, and confronted him, I just looked at him, and God gave me authority that I'd never known, Um, no intimidation or fear whatsoever, and uh, I dealt with the situation. And I remember it was just that life lesson that God said to and said, Brad, I can have you stand in front of people that are intimidating and authority figures caught in sin and give you the ability to stand and speak. And I do remember, though, I went home that night and I slept in a fetal
1: position because it had just totally rocked my world. Really? And a life lesson that I learned was um, I I couldn't go on that trip because we had just had a baby, but I had uh, driven down there to meet Brad and the team, staying with my parents. And the Brad and the youth workers, um, our staff, came out to tell me what happened. And this is only God's grace over my life at such a young age. When they gave me the news, the very first thought was not hatred or anger. The very first thought was God forbid I ever do anything that detrimental or hurtful to a young person. Yeah. And I turned the finger actually at myself, not at that person. I had I had some just deep sadness for him, but but God taught me a lot there to, hmm. for it to shape how I would carry out ministry.
0: Wonderful. What happened as a a matter of interest?
1: Well,
2: I do have to share one thing because I didn't know what to do. So I I did the thing you should never do, and that's I just opened up the Bible and pointed to a verse. It was Jeremiah 23, 1, which says, Woe to the shepherds that scatter the sheep of my field. And at that time, I made a commitment to be a good shepherd, to have a pure heart. So what happened was is, um, of course, he never saw the young people again. We flew him home to our home church, The church put him in a six-week program, rehabilitation program. But after that, he went and got hired by one of the largest ministries in North America as a television director. And it was interesting because I was in the room when our pastor called the owner of the station, and he says, well, I don't care about that. He's really good at what he does. Mm. And so that was one of the saddest things I'd ever seen. You know, they hire a man who had not yet found healing from this. Mm. Um, but the interesting thing was is we went into four years of the most fruitful youth ministry we ever had, because these kids were broken and broken people need shepherds, and they let you minister to them yeah, so God did some great things to it too.
0: wow wow, wow, amazing now, for ten years you were uh, for a period of ten years, you were both pastor of a Baptist church and then director of a Christian center, mm-hmm. and during this time, you were an NFL chaplain now yes. i i I don't think we have NFL over here in England, but, but uh, what was uh, what did this involve uh, and uh, what impact did you have on, on the players?
2: Well, I don't know if I can say what impact <laughs> I had, but uh, I remember the first time I walked in, I had my daughter Laura with me who was like four or five, and she's a tiny little petite blonde, and these guys are behemoths. I mean, they're absolutely huge and incredibly intense individuals. When you walk in there, they don't smile, they don't laugh. If you tell a joke or if you say something, you can't get any visible response from them, okay? So i get up there, and the first time I spoke, I was really nervous until about halfway through, the Lord said, they're big boys. That's all they are. They're playing a game, <laughs> but this is their livelihood, and the intensity that they have, and yet they still would take an hour on a Sunday morning and come out before the game and want to meet with the Lord really impressed me. The most precious time was I always had them fill out cards for prayer requests, and these men were dealing with really difficult things back home they had to leave wives that had surgery or you know situations that were crises in their lives but the demands of football meant that they had to be there Hmm. and they would let me lay hands on them and pray for them really and so it was just such a weird picture of me this skinny little guy (laughs) laying hands on this monster praying for strength for him um inner strength not the external strength that they needed
0: wow 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 and um yeah, amazing. Now, uh, in, the, in the late 1990s, you ran a missions program mm-hmm. for teenagers uh, here in the UK. Uh, uh, so first, how did this come about? And uh, in those early, uh, late 1990s, how did you uh, find the teens here in the UK? So how, how did you get to come to the UK and how did you find the teenagers that you were ministering with? Dad,
2: had always laid it on my heart to come to England since I was a young man. And Robin shared the vision, but not quite as strongly. And then one year I just said, I'm going to fly to England. So I got in a plane with a friend of mine. He flew to Blackpool, England in February. And if anybody goes to Blackpool in February and comes back to England, they deserve a special praise because it was a cold, rainy week. But I met a friend of mine, and uh, we connected immediately. His name is Pip Piper. And um, started bringing teams over to his church in Birmingham, England. And so I think the first year we brought like 10 kids, and then the next year we brought like 15 until... Halfway through our experience, we were bringing teams of 50, 60 kids over. Oh, goodness me. And working on the streets of Kings Heath and Birmingham and Handsworthing, which was some of the rougher parts of the suburbs of, of London. But we found great success.
0: So when you so just be clear, um, so when you say working on the streets, what were you actually doing?
2: Just taking teams out, going to parks, going on the street, and letting them just build relationships and share their faith. And it was interesting because um, our, our philosophy was... We didn't come and have programs. We just came over to serve local youth ministries and to love the people of England and love the Christian young people that we were
1: working alongside. We really loved individuals, and this has always been a focus, that individual people are always the most important thing. So we worked hard at um, staying in a location for two weeks to build relationship. And one of the things we would do is... um, each day, the kids would come after school, because it was still towards the end of their school year, and they would come, and we build relationship, little bit, little bit, and then we'd say, okay, on Sunday morning, meet us at McDonald's, and we're going to pay for your breakfast. <laughs> and then after breakfast, then you're going to go to church with us. And it was just a fabulous way oh. to build uh, area youth groups. We mm-hmm. didn't
2: tell them they were going to go to church with us on Sunday. They just did. These were non-church kids that would not go to church. But then all of a That's sudden, right. they would follow us. And our kids would always lead worship on Sunday morning. We had like a little impromptu choir of like 40 kids. But on this morning, there was 80 kids. There was 40 unsaved kids singing with us, praying songs in church on a Sunday morning. Wow. And many of those kids <laughs> came to know Christ
1: over the years. Really? So I'm tell you a fascinating story was there was a woman that came um, to one of our teens. Um, I'm going to say this very quickly for the sake of time. She was from Cornwall. She was playing the Wicked Witch in Hansel and Gretel in London. And a voice came to her and said, go to a church. She goes and finds us. Um, we end up leading her to Christ. And when she, has, when she had prayed the prayer to receive Christ, and Brad baptized her with water she started speaking brad encouraged her to pray do you know what was coming out of her mouth scripture she had never read the bible and the scripture started coming out and brad says alex do you know what you're saying she says no you're reciting the bible it was an unbelievable
0: event. yeah incredible god works in mysterious ways doesn't he he really really does really does now in 2005 you started working with uh, southwest youth ministries uh, in the UK and have been involved with them ever since Um, how has our youth changed over the years since you first got involved with the ministry and um, what impact do you see our current culture having on the youth of today
2: well, there's two questions in the first question, and is there's how have young people changed, how have Christian young people changed, and how have secular young people changed. You know, over the past 15 years or so, Christian kids, even though they might be in church as much as the previous generation, don't absorb it. It's like they, it, this has become information to them, and they don't know how to process it or use it. So it's like they have a lot of biblical facts and information and knowledge, but it's just nothing more than any other information they file away. So over the years, we've seen kids, I don't know if this even is going to sound right, less spiritual um, Christian kids than before. So you have to teach slower and more methodically, if that makes sense, to these kids as they're coming in over the years. As far as the unsaved kids, they have definitely become more secular, uh, less uh, embracing any Judeo-Christian values, very few absolutes. Um, To them, spirituality is okay, but religion is terrible. Um, so you have to go back when you're trying to reach the secular culture and dialogue with them, even about defining simple words like God, love, Bible. Um, hmm. so I've actually considered myself almost like a whip with Bible translator when I stand with secular kids because you can't use Christian jargon anymore. Even some of the phrases that we thought that they understood, they don't anymore. So it's, it's like learning a new language really? for this generation, yeah.
0: And is this? would you say this is the same in, in your country, in the States as well, similar?
2: Absolutely. You know, we always joke because a lot of times we'll talk to Brits and they think that America is a Christian nation. And, yes, we have our problems, um, but the reality of it is is very few young people in America are on fire for Christ. Mm. A lot of church goers, um, but that ch- Christian subculture is being affected by false religions, poor discipleship, um, secular thinking, relativism, uh, gender confusion... So there's little difference, basically, between your typical church kid and a secular kid other than the one kid might call himself a Christian.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, you founded a ministry called Pure for God. Tell us tell us about this ministry, its goals, its aims, how it came about, and, and what you're seeking to achieve with it.
2: Well, what's interesting is we were sitting around a table, and we were discussing what we should call our ministry, and our heart has always been for purity. You know, when I, at a young age, had to endure my youth pastor, you know, abusing my own kids um, it heightened my heart for purity and so other circumstances in life that led me to there so I've always been a person that, that talked with young people about purity and revival and seeing God if you have a pure heart and everything And but I remember one time I was sitting at a table with a very good friend of mine who was a Youth for Christ director and I said I think we're going to name our ministry Pure for God and he looks at me and goes well why don't you just paint a bullseye on your chest and I said well what do you mean he says Not only is the world not going to understand that, but there's going to be a lot of Christians that don't understand that as well. The call to be pure for God, the word pure has a tendency in some people's mind to infer legalism or a strictness or a a puritanism, and that's not us at all. It's just simply the Holy Spirit living out in our lives um, the life of Christ. So it's a very freeing experience to live pure for God.
1: And, and it's also that place of holiness. And people in the church are uncomfortable with that. And um, I guess how I could bring this down to everyday living. In my time with the Lord, every morning, which is what I guard, is that He speaks to me about my life. Is there anything in my life that is not pleasing you, Lord? And it, that is not to be wear me down or discourage me because with our Lord He, he um, is full of grace and He forgives He's a forgiving God but yet we must not have anything in the way I was with a group of teenagers here in England last night and I was grieved at um, the discipleship leader who doesn't not, sh- may not know how to properly disciple because when I was bringing this out in the small group about keeping your life cleansed <laughs> and bringing things before God for the Holy Spirit to convict you and that we need to confess our sin and repent of our sin so it doesn't get built up and blocked, there was seem to be a misunderstanding or not, no understanding in that. Hmm. So when we're calling the church to this higher plane, um it's many times maybe sin isn 't being talked about or they don't know what to do with it, or right. they just condemn themselves right. but right. that 's very grieving I think, in the church as a whole
0: so how important are this this term spiritual disciplines um in this pursuit of purity and holiness and and walking in righteousness before god
2: well um I wouldn't say that I'm a strict adherent that the spiritual disciplines are the only key to that because then it can turn into this monasticism but um, to me solitude is necessary in our world if you're gonna have a life that's honoring to Christ you better spend a lot of time in quiet with Him, because our world is so wordy and so noisy and so distracting um, mm-hmm. but you know there's like disciplines like simplicity um, the more you own, the more you're responsible for. The more you're responsible for, the busier you are, and the busier you are, the less time you have to spend with Christ. So we've tried to encourage disciples you know, to be able to sit there and say, yes, you can have nice things, but don't feel like you have to own everything, because when you do, then you have to maintain it. And we're seeing a, a materialism, especially in the United States, mm-hmm. that distracts people. They're so busy just trying to maintain their life that they don't have a time for a relationship with God or for serving Him. Yeah. And so a lot of money And things can easily creep in. So being alone with God and living a simple lifestyle would be the two disciplines I would put the most priority on.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Now, you've written and published a book called First Love. Yes. (laughs) Tell us about the book.
2: Well, uh, it has come basically from all my years in youth ministry. And what I've seen was, as we mentioned before, this generation of kids... They could be born into the church, go to Sunday school, go to church, be raised in a Christian home, and then leave home and have nothing to do with God and seem to have no understanding. And I just don't understand how a kid couldn't just sit in church and even just absorb a little bit. But then I began to realize that there was a breakdown and that kids were just Mm -hmm. looking at all what we were giving them as bits of information. So they filed away in their head. But it was like giving people individual pieces to a jigsaw puzzle, but they never knew what the picture looked like. And the picture is the person of Christ, it's the Gospel. And so I wrote this book for parents to do with young people or youth pastors to do with their students to help them put the pieces together. In other words, they might understand individual components of the Gospel, but they don't understand the Gospel. They may understand individual components of the person of Jesus Christ, but they don't know Him. And I'm convinced that if you truly know Jesus Christ, then you would love Him. Mm but you can't just love christ as a christian his command in first john four nineteen was is that well he loved us first we're supposed to love him then back as our first love mm. so um it was written to help parents and churches to call christian young people back to having christ as their first love yeah
0: wonderful now this is a simple question but it may be a deep question why do you have such a heart for youth
2: Well, I would say that I have more of a heart for youth than Robin does. Um, Robin is a prayerful woman and an intercessor. Um, I just love young people. In fact, last night I spoke at a youth group, and she looked over and she goes, you just love talking to young people. And I said, absolutely. And then a girl came up to me afterwards and said, you like to talk to young people, don't you? And I said, adults, not so much. Kids, I love. And she goes, why? And I said, because kids are transparent and honest. If they don't like you, you know it. If you speak to a group of adults, they can put on the face and they can hate your guts and you still wouldn't know by the externals. (laughs) Um, The second thing was, I came to Christ in a dramatic way when I was 16. I was a nice church kid, but I did not know Christ. Mm -hmm. And I look at this generation as almost being victimized by our generation's lack of attention. They're not inheriting a healthy church in Western culture, I don't think. Well, we can't blame that on that. And I see a lot of young people who look at the church and I think they're wise. They don't see substance there. They don't see depth there. They don't see people practicing the Word of God there. And so what they do is they back away from it rather than enter into it. Mm. So I have a heart for these kids mm. in the sense our generation in a sense almost created a church that pushes them away. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now, you've you you um, you've had some struggles in, in, in both of your lives. Um, mm-hmm. I mean... Here you are, you're a pastor, you're a a Christian leader, you're involved in in helping young people come to Christ, and yet your daughter, you have a daughter who who fell pregnant at 17. And, and, I mean, that must have been really tough, really tough. Um, How how did you deal with that?
2: I think we dealt with it together, unified, uh, in different ways. I remember I was in England when I found out. And the first thing that kind of came to me was I really felt this sense of anger. And because, you know, when you're the director of Pure for God Ministries and your 17-year-old daughter's pregnant, it's not really a, a good thing in human terms. And I was laying in bed the day that I found out and God decided, I want you to praise me. So I started praising God. And as I did, literally this, like, dark cloud formed over, over me. And I really think it was a spirit of anger and, 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 and hatred. And I just looked and I said, you will not have me. And it just kind of dissipated. And then all of a sudden God came to me and said, you know, Brad, you've worked for years and years and years reaching young people and loving kids that were in hurting situations. But if you can't show mercy to your own daughter right now, then it's kind of disqualified all the things
1: you've set up to this point. Hmm. And God gave me this overwhelming mercy for my daughter. So I'll never forget the day that our daughter and her uh, boyfriend come to our house to have the big talk. And um, I couldn't even get one word out. I just wanted to strangle her. (laughs) (laughs) And the Lord came upon Brad, and he was so kind to them. And uh, the Lord began to speak to me that um, I was very aware of presentation and how was this going to look. And the body of Christ started flooding our home with beautiful cards, words of encouragement, and I was overwhelmed. And around that time, I began to just lay that down to be really genuine. Don't worry about how things look. Life happens. People know your hearts. And um, our daughter did marry that young man. They both love the Lord, and, and God has blessed both of them and especially her in the areas of prayer ministry and healing prayer ministry for people.
0: Mm-hmm. So, how would you, how would you, uh, what would you say to other parents who find themselves in a similar situation?
2: I think the first thing I'd say is, it's not the end of the world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it seems,
2: like it is. and it is in some ways a reflection of you, but it really isn't. You know, our, our young, our young people when they grow into adulthood. Make choices just like we did, and we sometimes we make good ones and we make bad ones. But be honest with you, Laura could have done a lot of things worse than that. Mm-hmm. She never went off into drugs. You know She never went off into this uh, abandonment of God. I would hear her on the phone witnessing and sharing her faith with kids while she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. She made a mistake and she failed, but um, she still had a pure heart and I just if, I, if there's parents out there if you've raised your kids the right way and they make a mistake or they fail even if it's a big one trust God in them trust that the mm. word of God and the things you put into them will rise to the surface eventually
0: mm. yeah now you, you've also had uh, illness over many years with your health and you recently had a car accident mm-hmm. uh, suffered a fractured vertebrae blood clots and um, you know that, that must have been very traumatic um, how has this shaped you as a Christian as a leader recognizing that actually there's pain and there's hurt and there's stuff that happens in our lives and and where's God in all of that
2: well that's a good question because sometimes he's hard to see especially in the early stages Um, but what happened was is literally God collapsed my entire life not only did we have the accident we had a huge family situation we had to deal with and at the same time God called us to move house from New York to Florida all within a period of just a couple of months and um, it was like literally God deconstructed my health, our home, our family and I used the word collapse and so being in such sad shape with not being able to do anything I had a lot of solitude. It wasn't my choice but you know I didn't have anything else to do and God came and confronted three sins in my life. The first one was the sin of control. And I remember I was out on the beach, and I was talking to the Lord, and I said, how am I controlling? He says, Brad, you know, controlling is not always this heavy-handed control. You have subtly tried to guide your family and your life um, and try to move people in situations to come to a result that you wanted. That's control. So I I confessed that. And then the second one, he said, uh, you worry. You have fear in your life now. And I've never really been a fearful person. He says, this has got to end So he started dealing with. um, I had many words spoken to me when I er was early in the accident. Oh, you could have died. That blood clot could have killed you, you know. And those words stuck with me and created anxiety and anxiousness. So there was that fear there. But the third one surprised me, too, because uh, he said, You know, Brad, you're trying to rob glory from me. And I said, Well, how am I trying to do that? And he says, Because you keep looking back, you keep looking at the past. You know, the accident, the situation with your family, the pain that you've been in, those words of death. He said, as long as you turn around, you're going to see the shadows behind you, and they're always going to pull you away from me. He says, I want you to turn and face me and face the future with confidence. Because as long as I put the past behind me, I'm giving God the glory. But if I look at the past, I'm focusing on that and robbing God of what he's going to do in the future. Mm
1: I think a lot of people that know us would go, Wow, Brad and Robin, you have really persevered. <laughs> and we have, because there's many other things that have happened along our ministry life that have been very difficult. And so I would think for me, uh, both Brad and I have experienced deep grief. But we have had an intimacy with Christ, and he has been um, our constant. Okay. But for me personally, there I began to recognize a low-level underlying anger that I allowed to nest within me um, that just resided, but it was hurting me. But I didn't quite know what to do with it. And then when things would begin to increase like they did over the last several months, um, I... I had to just come clean with that. I had to start talking about it, talking about why I was angry. And the interesting thing is, I'm not an angry person. Brad's not an angry person. Brad's not a controlling person. But these can be these quiet places in our emotions that have to be dealt with and have to be recognized. And so, um, A funny thing is, the last two years, we have done a teaching day called Wise Anger here in England, up in the Stratford-upon-Avon area. (laughs) And so, when we did it last year, you know, we brought a lot of our things that we had gone through as we were teaching people, and then lo and behold, the Lord says to Brad again, I want you to teach on that same subject. He took us another layer deeper. And God used it in in a powerful way just a few weeks ago
0: mm. so God ministering in painful, difficult circumstances and I, yeah it 's interesting. I, I find you know the tough times that i 've been through there 's always for me anyway there 's just one purpose, and that is God wants me more focused on him
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and more obedient to him and more giving to him, and you know that 's the purpose. And,
1: and you may have noticed that we are quite transparent <laughs> people do say that that's a mark of our relationship um, we, and as we minister hmm. we, we are transparent and this is something God desires from the body of Christ is honesty and I think it keeps the body of Christ from loving one another, embracing one another Having fellowship, true fellowship, the body of Christ is afraid to just say it like it is. Now, of course, we need to be wise in how to do that and where to do it and who to do it with. Mm. But it isn't until you express some private things with a trusted person that intimacy can begin to be built.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I know I know you guys love the mm. Word of God. Um, you use the word of God in your ministry. Why, why is the Bible important to you?
2: Well, it says a number of times in the scriptures that it's not just the words, but they are life. And, you know, in the times of my life, you know, with situation with that youth pastor who had, um, uh, been misusing those boys, uh, and God gives me Jeremiah 23. I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, candy coating it. It was, here was a shepherd that scattered the flock and Brad, you better not be that kind of shepherd. I I like the bluntness of scripture sometimes that we often ignore. Um, But to me, it's my center. It's my focus. It's when I am in the word, it grounds me um, to be able to handle the things, but also to have an insight to even know how to deal with people or counsel or preach. So, I mean, to me, it's just like the epicenter, and I start there, and then everything kind of evolves outward from there. Yeah. And I love to do it. You know, you ask me, what do you love to do? I would probably rather study the Bible for an hour than fish for an hour. Close, but I
0: would say <laughs> <laughs> um, why, yeah, how about you, Robin? Well, it didn't what?
1: take me long after I came to Christ, and I realized how much I needed him, and I needed truth and so um i ephesians and romans it's talking about that carnal nature all that stuff that wants to eat you alive and um the beatitudes in matthew just the beauty of how that changes your inner being and your character um i have really recognized that i need it for refreshment um i love thy thy word is a lamp unto my feet and mm. a light unto my path mm. i just would be lost if i did not have that the map of the word of god for my life
0: mm. yeah i mean do you have a favorite uh, bible book either of you
2: well mm. uh yeah i have uh, a favorite and it would be amos in the old testament Hmm. Mainly because of his personality, because he's a lot like me. He was a country guy, and uh, he would be down, you know, working on his trees or tending his sheep or out hunting or fishing or something like that. And then when God would give him a message, and he'd go and he'd preach it, and then he'd go back home again. And that's been my life recently, that God will give me these, I hate to use the word prophetic, but very black-and-white messages to take to God's people, and then I go back home, and I try to be quiet and reflective. Um, I think there 's a, a real need for people today to hear messages directly from God and go and preach them and leave them at that mm-hmm. so I love the book Amos
1: yeah
0: okay well, Robin, how about you well
1: that 's a hard one but I do love I love the beginning cha- uh, chapters of matthew it 's just black and white. this is how you should live <laughs> and um and John all about the abiding um I just uh, right now I'm studying the book of Jeremiah and I'm just feeling for that dear prophet. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just yeah. love
0: the word. Now, I mean, uh, this is called the Bible of Me podcast, uh, obviously, and uh, our heart as a ministry is to do what you're doing really, which is to encourage people to in their walk with the Lord. Um, so if you're listening to this and uh, you're not you're not in the word of God, you don't know how to study the word of God and you've heard what Uh, brad and robin have said about how important it is then we would really encourage you to contact us Uh, they've mentioned amos they've mentioned matthew they've mentioned john jeremiah Uh, as a ministry we have got some wonderful wonderful studies on each of those books in fact all the books of the bible so please do contact us and we'd be thrilled to equip you with skills to study um what about a favorite bible verse well it's matthew 5
2: 8 blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god And um, the reason it it is my favorite is because it says, Blessed, which means happy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. That's what makes you happy. So I've always interpreted it that if you're not pure in heart, you're going to really struggle to see God. And that's why I tell young people about what's the value of living a godly life. When you're not living a godly life, God gets really blurry really fast. You can't hear from him or understand him, but when you commit yourself to live a life through his strength and through his word that's pure, it's amazing how clearly you can start to see God. It's <laughs> always been the verse that I go back to, to when I'm talking to people about the value of having a pure life. Wonderful. Because to me, living pure for God isn't what I do. It has to be who I am. And I've made the mistake sometimes of slipping from that and making about what I do, and then all of a sudden God lets me kind of get blurry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> how about you, Robin? Do you have, do you have a favorite verse?
1: Well, it's- really you can tell we've been married 40 years the beatitudes but i do love uh john 3:17 that he did not come to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved
0: hm people know john 3:16 but mm-hmm. that's obviously the, <laughs> the verse after fantastic now what's next for you guys
2: well, we just moved to Florida, and uh, God moved us there without telling us what we're there for or what we're doing. <laughs> so we're going to continue our ministry, Robin, doing her soul care and things like that. But we really feel like this is a new chapter. And uh, we're both 61, and when we move to Florida, people go, oh, you're retiring to Florida. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> We're, we're gearing up, I think, for hopefully the most productive time in our ministry. Aww. But it will be to take the message of calling the church to live pure and holy. It will be about calling uh, young people to not just become Christians, but to have Christ as their first love. Um, We want to train and put into, I've got eight or ten young men all around the world that I disciple. And these are guys in their 20s and 30s that need a mature, objective voice in their life. And then Robin will continue to develop her soul care, which is a combination of prayer ministry and counseling and good advice and Bible study uh, to help bring healing to, to hurting women
0: and have you got a church are you is, have you identified a good church down yes. there
2: we have a wonderful church riverside church in sebastian florida and they have just embraced us and brought us alongside and really have been part of our healing yes
0: oh well um i am so pleased to have had this opportunity to talk with you um and uh you know it's great that you're over here in the uk i know you've been for many years coming to our country mm-hmm. and uh I'm sure you won't know until eternity the fruit of your labors over all those years. So thank you for being here. Thank you for investing in leaders. That is so important to invest in leaders. And it's been a blessing to meet you. And uh, I wish you all God's blessing in the future as you settle down into Florida, Sunshine State. (laughs) And uh, when you're back in the country, you must look us up. So thank you both so much. You've been listening to the Bible and Me podcast from Precept Ministries UK. By leaving a rating or review, you can help us to reach a wider audience with the good news of God's grace and plans for his people. But otherwise, until next time, we hope you have a blessed week from all of us here at
1: PM UK.